Amen. Well, if, if I haven't met you personally, my name is Doug Hicks, and I'm pastor at Connection Church, and I'm just glad you're here. And uh, it's always amazing to me to see how God is working in the lives of people. If you can just imagine that uh, not even a little more than a year ago, this place was a dream that uh, God had set in the hearts of a few, and today uh, we're on the cusp of uh, adding a second service and baptizing. Uh, we, we're on track to baptize at least uh, 8 to 10 this month, uh, people who have come to Christ and are, are willing to tell the world that they're a follower of Jesus. And so uh, to God be the glory for the great things he has done. It is an amazing testimony of faith of what God has done. We're, we're in the middle of this Sun Stand Still series, and for those of you who haven't been here, we have been studying from Joshua chapter 10, and we're not going to be there today, so don't turn there. We're going to be in Luke chapter 9, so if you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to take those out. If you don't own a Bible, there should be one of the seats in front of you. Uh, if you didn't bring one with you, take that one home. That's our gift to you. We would love for you to have a copy of God's Word, and so we would love for you to take that as a gift from us today. But we're going to be in Luke chapter 9, which is in the second half of your Bible, and we're going to be looking at a story or a passage where Jesus essentially tells us why, uh, why all this matters and what, what we can do to follow him. This, this uh, Sun Stand Still series has been about the story in Joshua chapter 10 where Joshua stands before God and he essentially asks God to stop the sun. He prays a prayer of faith. He, he prays a prayer that's really off the charts in human comprehension and understanding. It doesn't make sense why, why he would pray it, and it doesn't make sense why God would answer it. But God is in the business of doing things that are unexpected and amazing and incredible, and we are trying to transform the ideology of our church to not be a church that just says we hope that God might show up, but we are praying that God will show up because we believe that he is real and he is active and he is alive and he is in your, in your life and he wants to do things in your life that are amazing and incredible. The author of this book, Sun Stand Still, had a moment that, that I, I hear re- being repeated in, in this crowd of people who said, you know what, I just don't want to come to the end of my life and to realize that I never saw the hand of God move in a mighty way in my life. And so we're beginning to pray those prayers and saying, God, we are, we are grasping a hold of you, and we are not letting go until you bless us. And so that's kind of where we have been. But for those of you who have been here through the whole journey, I, I didn't want to leave this series, and we still have another week or so, but I didn't want to leave this series without telling you why it really matters. Because I think that as, as a pastor and as a preacher, I, I want to I answer the question, where does all this faith talk really matter? Why does it matter? What does it mean to embrace this idea of praying a prayer of faith uh, that, that really can change the, the perspective of my, my life, but can tr- change the, the trajectory of where I'm headed? What difference does it make? I, and and, and where, where can I really put this into practice? In Luke chapter 9, verse 23, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go into this passage and I'm going to read it and then we're going to actually go backwards through it. So that kind of fits me. I'm kind of a backwards guy anyway, all right? But in Luke chapter 9, I want you to look with me beginning in verse 23. And these words are in red in my Bible and that means that Jesus said it. It says that Jesus said to them, if anyone would come after me, Let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. 
For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? The NIV there says he forfeits his soul. This is a powerful passage. In fact, it's very challenging because Jesus says three things in verse 23. He says that if you want to follow me, that you have to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. It's it's a very incredible thing to ask. And so I I want to walk into that very carefully. But I want us to first talk about these steps of faith. Because I think in these deep discussions of faith that we have been having over the past several weeks, and if you're not already involved in a connection group, you need to get involved because not only do we study this on Sunday, but uh, Sunday nights we have a group, and on Wednesday nights we have a group, and on Monday nights we have a group for college students uh, specifically. But we're taking this and we're breaking it apart, and we're, we're asking the questions of, of can we really ask in faith and believe that God might do an incredible thing? These deep discussions of faith where we're saying, we're, we're taking a scripture where, where, where Jesus said, if you have the faith the size of a mustard seed, then you can move a mountain. We're taking the story out of Joshua chapter 10 where Joshua essentially asked God to stop the sun so that something incredible might happen. Those deep discussions of faith, we, we can't just move over them because many of you are going, well, you know, Doug, that's great for you, but it's not for me. I don't understand. I don't comprehend. I, I, I don't know how I can ask God to do that. I'm not even sure what I can ask God to do. I'm not sure what's okay, what's, what's safe for me to ask. And so many of us get stuck. And we think, you know, that's a really good thing to hear, Doug, but I want to know what's real for my life. Well, here's, here, here's where I think something got off course, is that we forgot that we were, what we were here for. Now, we, we live in a great country, Amen. Well, this, this is a wonderful place. I mean, nobody's going to come in here today and arrest us for worshiping Jesus. We live in a place where we can be religiously free uh, to, to worship God, or, or actually you can worship whatever you want to, which is, I guess, good or bad. But we have the freedom to come in and say things, and we're not scared that we're going to be thrown in jail. There are people who will stand today and speak of Jesus and before the end of the day be in jail for what they say. So we live in a great country, and as, as messed up as you may think things are, and if you watch a lot of news, then you probably think it's really messed up, okay? But we still believe that God is sovereign, and He is the God of our, of our nation, whether they want to claim it or not. But we, we live in a nation that has, has permeated into our minds this American dream. Ever since I can remember about what success was supposed to be, there's this, there's this ideology of, of an American dream that what I need to do in my life is get a good job so that I can earn good money and, and, and get a house and a car and a truck and a, you know, another, maybe another toy or, or some possession to drive that drops in value before I can get it off the parking lot of the dealer, okay? We, 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 we want those things and we want the toys and, you know, we... What, what we really want is to be able to pay all of our bills, of which we, we just keep buying things and the bills keep stacking up. And, and the American dream is that I should enjoy my life and, and have all my toys and collect all my stuff. A few years ago, I had, a, I had a, just a, a come-to-Jesus moment in my own mind as I sat at my own garage sale and looked at all my junk that was parked out in my driveway. And I thought, here's all the junk that I bought that I don't want anymore, that I'm hoping somebody else wants, and they will give me money so I can go buy more junk to put back in the place of the stuff that I'm emptying out so that I can have more room. 
How much did that make sense? In fact, I had some friends who were living in Africa, and I thought, I hope they never drive by my house when I'm having a garage sale because they would make fun of me. You see, this whole American dream is the collection of junk. It's a collection of stuff. I mean, really, I mean, a house is a great thing, and cars are nice, and, and I, have, I have those too. But listen, is that the end all? Because that's what I've been taught my whole life, that if I wanted to live happily ever after, that I have to have all this stuff, when really that's not what I was created for. I was not created to have the next car or to have, uh, have the nicest clothes or, or to have a, a vacation home. I can't even keep up with one house to-do list, much less another one. And, and, and yet that's not really what I was created for. In fact, this is why I want us to go backwards through the Scripture. Look in Luke chapter 9, verse 25. In Luke 9, verse 25, Jesus said this. Now, this is what Jesus said. This isn't, this isn't a man. This is, this is Jesus. This is the Son of God who physically was a man, but he was speaking the words from heaven. Look what he says. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits his soul or himself. Can I tell you, I have sat at the table with men and women who had great wealth, great possessions. You know what they said? This means nothing to me in comparison with my family, time. And for those who knew Jesus, they said, I would give it all up if Jesus said, give it all up today. And here we are, we're running after what they have. It just kind of shot me. He, he, now, they would say, you know, this stuff's nice, but it doesn't bring me peace. The peace that I can have only comes from Jesus. Jesus said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world, if, if everything is perfect, if, if, if I have everything on my to-do list, if, if I have all of it done, if I have all of the possessions that I want? Do, do we really have all the possessions that we want? Because, I mean, the, the moment you get the iPad 2, there's going to be an iPad 3. You buy that 2011 new car, next year it's going to be a year old, and you're going to be going, man, I really like the 2012. Maybe I should trade it in and go deeper into debt so that I can... We're, we're never satisfied, right? We're never there. Jesus said, listen, you can spend your whole life trying to gain these things, but that's not what you were created for. You were created to achieve more uh, for God, not, not to achieve more for the world. You were, you were created, created to, to build the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of Doug or the kingdom of you. This morning, I, I want us to see that, that your life, your whole life, you could live and you could gain everything that the world thinks that you need to have and miss out on the most important thing. I've asked Jeffrey to come this morning. Because Jeffrey's story kind of goes along that lines. Because we, we wanted to look at what faith is and what faith can be more than just gaining stuff or, or living the way that everybody else did. Jeffrey's going to tell you his story of faith. Uh, yeah, when I was in high school, well, let me start at the beginning, I guess. Uh, I became a Christian when I was eight years old and uh, was baptized out of obedience uh, just to tell the world what God had done in my life. Uh, but I never really understood what it meant to walk with God on a daily basis until I was 13, uh, and I was in junior high. Uh, and from that time, when I was 13 to about my sophomore year in high school, my faith was about um, what God could do for me uh, and uh, not about what I was doing for God. Um, it was about um, my friends uh, because my faith was kind of built around my circle of friends uh, and that kind of thing. And uh, right before 
finals of my sophomore year of high school, I got a call at school uh, that my brother, who was a freshman in college at the time, was going to come pick me up from school, uh, and which was odd. Uh, I never got out of school early. And so I was kind of excited. I get to get out of school early, and it's right before finals. What a great time. Uh, then I found out that when I got to the office that uh, the reason he was picking me up is that my mom was being uh, sent in an ambulance a couple hours east uh, from where we, I'm sorry, west from where we live to Dallas uh, to a hospital because she was going to have emergency brain surgery. And uh, that moment when I heard that uh, kind of really just sent my faith uh, down a different path uh, because my faith wasn't really built on what it was supposed to be built on. It was built on what I thought I wanted it to be. Uh, and so when I heard this bad news, uh, my mind, my heart started to turn away from God. Uh, I, I didn't understand, you know, number one, why is my mom having emergency brain surgery? Yesterday, she had a headache, you know, uh, what happened? And, uh, anyway, so my brother and I are driving to Dallas and, uh, just talking what, you know, what happened? What, what on earth is going on? You know, um, and we're on our way, and I'm just telling Matt, you know, this sucks. <laughs> this is terrible. You know, what's going to happen? Uh, and that kind of thing. And, and then we get to the hospital, and it gets a little bit worse because uh, I didn't know what a brain aneurysm was. And that's what my mom had. She had a brain aneurysm. And uh, I had no idea uh, what it was. I'd never heard of it before. Uh, and all of a sudden, my mom had it. And so I thought, well, she'll be in surgery. Uh, you know, she'll, she'll get done, and uh, she'll be fine. She'll have a couple hours of recovery, uh, and we'll go home, and everything will be great. Uh, and so we're sitting in the waiting room, and I had learned that this is going to be a six-hour surgery. I'm like, great, that's a long surgery. Uh, and I pick up a pamphlet that I see because it says aneurysms on the top of it. Uh, it was a bad idea because I open up the pamphlet, and I begin to read about how uh, only 17% of people who have brain aneurysms survive. Uh, and so when my heart was already on a path away from God, this information was like, What? <laughs> What what's going to happen to my mom? You know, am I not going to see her again? Uh, is this going to be the end of it? Uh, and and just even more and more uh, negative thoughts uh, were being put in my head and in my heart. Uh, and I began to grow more and more mad at God. Uh, and uh, I just didn't understand. I thought this was God's fault. Uh, that why would he do this to my mom? Uh, I didn't understand it. She was in church every Sunday. She loved him. Uh, she sang in the choir at our church. You know what? Why? Why her? Uh, why us? I didn't understand. And I just began to get angry with God. Uh, well, six hours later, uh, the surgeon comes out, and I'm thinking, okay, it's over. You know, here we go. We're going to know now. Well, he comes out and says, there's some complications, and we need more time. Uh, so I didn't really understand that either. Uh, what do you mean you need more time? You're an expert. You're supposed to be able to do this in the amount of time you say. Uh, and uh and so he speaks with my dad privately, and uh, uh, my dad comes back, and I'm just furious at this point. I'm furious. I'm, I'm thinking, uh, you know, what's going to happen uh, to me and my brother? Uh, what's going to happen with our family uh, and that kind of thing? And, and my dad comes back from talking to the surgeon, and he just takes us aside. Uh, by this time, you know, we only live two hours away, so after six hours, our whole family was there. The waiting room was filled with people from our church, uh, from uh, – uh, our families, people, extended family I hadn't seen in a long time uh, who were there because of the gravity of the situation. So my dad pulls my brother and I aside and takes us to the elevator, and we go down one floor to an empty waiting room right below the one we were in. And uh, he just kind of gathers us up right outside the elevator. He puts his arms around us, um, and he says, uh, guys, this w- you might not, basically, you might not have a mom. 
uh, anymore. We might have to figure out how to, how we're going to do this on our own uh, without mom. And uh, and I just broke. <laughs> I didn't know what else to do. Um, I was just furious. That's the best way I can describe it with God. Um, and my dad did something interesting because I thought what my dad was going to do was have a great plan. I thought what he was going to do is uh, tell us what the next step was. Uh, I thought he was going to tell us it's going to be okay, you know, uh, w- you know, her job was supplemental or, you know, you just got to finish high school and go to college, you're going to be all right. Uh, you know, I'm going to quit going out of town as much. He traveled for his job, that kind of thing. I thought he had a plan in his mind what he was going to do, but what he did was he took us and he put his arms around us and he said, uh, guys, I, I don't know what else to do. I don't know what, I don't know what we're going to do, but I know that God uh, loves us and I want to pray for us. And I was like, what do you mean God loves us? <laughs> uh, this is happening to our mom. Uh, and uh, anyway, so my dad just began to pray. And, and I remember listening to his prayer. And it was really just a prayer of desperation uh, and a prayer of, uh, of God, we're at the end of our rope. Uh, we don't know what else to do. Uh, you're the only one who can come through. Uh, and I remember listening to him and thinking, what, what does this even mean? And, and really, I, I guess it was the Holy Spirit, I'm not sure, but my heart began to just turn, uh, turn back and say, the things that I know about God to be true, I've got to believe in this moment. I've got to know that God is faithful. I've got to know that God wants the best for our lives. And even if something bad happens, that God is in control. Uh, and so my dad prayed this prayer, really, of just faith, and, uh, which I had never experienced on that kind of level before. And, uh, and my heart began to turn back to God just because of my dad's example and praying for us. And about three hours later, um, the surgery was over, and uh, the surgeon came back and explained how this was a uh, gigantic aneurysm, bigger than he'd ever seen, but they think they were able to get it all uh, and to take care of it, um, but my mom would have a long road to recovery, uh, and so we actually were in ICU for about three weeks after that, and then my mom was in the hospital for almost another month after that, and so basically, uh, I missed all of my tests uh, at, at the end of my sophomore year. I kept my books, which was funny. When I tried to return them the next year, they thought I had stolen them. And I had to explain, no, my mom had brain surgery, and then they gave me really funny looks after that. Uh, but, you know, it was just really incredible how God did a miracle. Uh, because when you look at what the, uh, the experts were saying about aneurysms, she wasn't supposed to make it. Uh, when you look at the complications that happened, she wasn't supposed to make it. Uh, when she was, even when she was in the ICU, you know, they said she'll never operate fully uh, the capacity that she did before. Uh, well, a couple months later, she was back at work. Uh, she was able to, she had to go through some speech therapy because the trach tubes were in her throat for so long. Uh, she couldn't talk. She doesn't, she no longer sings. Uh, she can sing, but she just doesn't think she can. Uh, so she went back to uh, playing the bassoon, which she did in high school. She relearned how to play the bassoon and decided to play in the orchestra at our church. Uh, she works. She was here a couple weeks ago. She traveled up here with my dad. Uh, this was, what, 11 years ago, and you'd never even know that this happened to her. Um, and so just what an incredible thing that God did, uh, and, and what an incredible example my dad was. And I'm not sure where I would be without that moment of uh, faith that my dad had. Uh, and honestly, I don't know if I've ever even told him <laughs> that, that that happened in my life because of that. Maybe I should do that. Uh, that'd probably be encouraging to him. But uh, and what an incredible thing that God did. Uh, to really change the course of my life through my dad's faith. So, 
That's uh, my story. Let, let, let me just ask you a question yeah. because I think that where we struggle is that we think everybody else has faith but me, and I don't have that. Was that a scary point when you heard your dad essentially praying that prayer of faith, of asking God to do something that really was a miracle? Yeah, um, it, it was because I had never experienced anything like that before. You know, the biggest struggle I had was whether a girl was going to go out with me <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> or something like that, and uh, and I had no idea. Not Jill? Uh, no, it wasn't oh. Jill. Oh. No, it was one of Jill's friends. Whoa. <laughs> okay, back on track. Um, back to fear, because uh, you're going to need to fear that. I hope you got the car keys. No, we're good. We're good. Uh, no, it, it was. It was difficult because, uh, you know, I had never... I had never experienced hurt like that. Mm. Um, I had never experienced fear like that. And uh, uh, to not know what my next step was was brand new to me. Um, and, and it was scary, really, to, to be able to put my trust in God. Um, but, like, I, I felt myself being pushed that way. That, I, that This is the only option for me. I've got to trust that God's going to do something big because I don't have any other role here. I've got no power. Um, and so, and, and that's a big thing. And, uh, you know, I, that sentiment, I guess, is uh, because I learned that in that day, I've been able to carry that out through smaller things in my life mm-hmm. later on. Does that make so, sense? so it began a journey for you of learning to trust God more. I know that, I mean, that's a, that's a monumental thing in your life, but it began a journey to where you began to trust God in other areas as well. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and one of those things is... Uh, um, <laughs> Uh, I, I really began to trust God with, uh, I know we were joking about relationships before, but, um, you know, just some, every college kid wonders about who they're going to marry and that kind of thing, uh, and I was able to uh, take, <laughs> this sounds so cheesy now, but uh, a girl broke up with me my freshman year of college, and uh, we had been dating for three years. Uh, I thought she was the one, but she wasn't, but because of that experience, I was able to say, okay. God's got this under control, and uh, he's got a plan for me. And, of course, Jill came along, and, uh, yeah, and, and the rest is history. God really provided. So, yeah, a even good, just good small history. things like that, yeah. Say those things. We'll get you out of trouble. <laughs> Thanks, yeah. Jeffrey, for sharing Thanks. your story. You guys give him a hand. That, that's a personal thing for Jeffrey. It was tough for him to be able to share that, but I appreciate him sharing his heart. The thing I wanted you to hear was it's real. And we kind of feel like that when we come to Christ that we like take a faith pill and then we just believe automatically. And I want you to hear that it's a journey. It's, it's, a, it's a place where we have to say, okay, God, I, I don't know. It's, it's almost like, I don't know if you've taken a step across one of those hanging bridges, but you take the first step and you go, okay, this is okay. And then, then you keep going. And sometimes when you get in the middle, it begins to sway, but you have to believe that this thing was, you know, that the guys didn't build this on Friday afternoon before they were ready to get off, and, and it was built well, and it's going to stand up, and it's going to be there. That's kind of what the faith walk is in following Jesus. And it doesn't just happen overnight, but we, we kind of get in this mindset that we think that everybody else understands but me. And I want you to know, if you don't hear anything else today, just know you're not alone. You're not alone in struggling to believe that God can do amazing things. You're, you're not alone in, in, in struggling to understand why God would care enough about you to do something amazing and incredible in your life. I want us to go back to this, this scripture because the, the, the faith that, that we've been talking about, it, it makes a difference. And, 
And, and I want you to, to get into your mind with the, the words of Jesus. Jesus said, listen, what, what if you gained the whole world and you missed me? What, what if you gained the whole world and you missed Jesus? What, what if you lived your whole life and you never were able to see the hand of God at work in your life? What, what, if, what if God never moved in a mighty way in your life and in your family and your world? For some of you, I think what you need is what I call the turning the corner moment when Jesus becomes more than whatever he has been to you. For some of you, Jesus is just religion. For some of you, Jesus is just this, this person who lived 2,000 years ago, and I'm, sure, I'm not sure what to do with him. S- some of you need that turn-that-corner moment in your life when Jesus becomes more than just a hope, but he becomes a reality, that your faith begins to become more and more and more real. Now I want you to go back to Luke chapter 9, because Jesus said, listen, if you're going to follow me and you're going to have that kind of faith, then it's going to take a commitment on your part. And if you're going to follow me, it, it's, it's not just easy. In fact, Jesus says in Luke chapter 14, he says that, hey, if you're going to follow me, then, then everything else in your world has to look like that you don't, you don't care about it or you hate it. And in comparison with me, not that you don't care about anything else, but in comparison, you have to love Jesus more. You have to serve him more. And he says in Luke chapter 9, three things that I want to give you this morning. Number one is found in verse 25, excuse, 23. He says, if anybody would come after me, let him deny himself. Here's the problem. We've been given the wrong definition of what it means to live. We have have gotten into this mindset where if you're really going to live, then you have to protect yourself, okay? Now, most of you drive vehicles that have these little things that if you hit something that this big pillow comes out, okay? And you wear a seat belt and, and everything in your car is designed for you if you have a wreck to protect you. And, you know, I, I remember when I was coming up uh, as, as a little kid, you know, I, I don't really remember much, as much about me as I do my, my younger brothers, but I don't ever remember seeing a car seat. In fact, we fought for the ledge. Do you guys remember the back of the car? It used to have the big ledge in the back, and we would fight to, to sit up there. My dad, I hate to even say this, my dad bought a 15-passenger van one time, and he built a, like a, a platform to where we could lay down on top of the seats, and we thought it was awesome. Now I'm looking and I'm thinking, if he'd hit the brakes, there would have been projectile children like going through, I mean, it was totally unsafe. We didn't think about that. Now we protect everything. You know, our kids are just about running around in helmets and gloves, you know, everywhere we go, and we dip them in antibacterial stuff before they go out. I mean, it's just a completely different world, right? And there's nothing wrong with protecting your kids. I do that. We buy the antibacterial stuff by the tub, I think, at my house. But listen, the, the, the real thing that I want you to hear is we have been taught that, protect, that, that living life means we have to protect ourselves. And look at what Jesus says. Look in verse 24. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Now that doesn't even make sense to me because my whole programming has been be safe. You know, drive the speed limit. Make sure you wear your helmet when you ride your bike. All those kinds of things to to protect yourself. And Jesus said, hey, if you really want to live, then, then be willing to lose your life. And what we've created is this safety cage around us. And, and Jesus said, listen, if, if you want to follow me, then you have to deny yourself. And that means that you have to be willing to lose your life. That means you have to be willing to take a risk. It means that you've got to take those steps of faith where you're not sure if it's all going to work out in the end. 
you're not sure what, what God is, is asking you to do. In fact, here, if, if I could describe you to you, give you a, a picture of what it means to walk in faith, in my own experience, it is to grab the hand of God in a completely dark room and just to follow him and hold on. Not being able to see what's ahead, but just trusting that God is trustworthy and I'm going to follow him wherever he goes. Because most of the time, God doesn't let us see too far ahead. Because if we saw the whole thing, we probably would never take the first step. But God says, hey, if you, if you want to follow me, then you've got to deny yourself. You've got to, verse 24, be willing to give up your life. You've got to be willing to give up who you are. You, you've got to grab a hold of God and, and not let go. You've, you've got to be willing to make that life change, to, to see God do an incredible blessing in your life. You've got to say, hey, I'm willing to give it up because it's not about me. It's about what God wants to do through me. Listen to me this morning. If you don't hear anything else, hear this. The greatest achievement in your life is what you do when you follow Christ. Now, I don't know what that is. In, in a sea of faces this morning, it's going to be a diverse uh, result. You're going to do something different than what you guys are going to do, and, and it's going to look different. It's going it's to be down a different path. But here's what I want you to know. God has a plan for you. And he wants you to find it. And he wants you to achieve it. And for those of you who came in here struggling to know, I, Doug, I don't know if I have the faith. Listen, if you try to save your life, look at, verse, look at verse 24. For whoever would save his life will what? Lose it. You remember when we talked about possessions? I mean, you go to college, you, you, you go to training, you, you try to get the best job, you try to live in a nice house, you try to drive, you, you gather all these things, and really what happens when you die? Can you take any of that with you? No. I mean, you can't take the possessions, you can't take the achievements in your job, you can't take any of the money with you. What's going to matter? I'll tell you what's going to matter. The only thing that matters is what you've done for Christ. The only thing that matters is what Jesus meant in your heart kingdom work. The second thing he says in verse 23, he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. Last week we talked about what it means to be in a spiritual war, that, that we are at war and we have to wear our armor. In fact, this morning as I woke up early in the morning and I began to think and pray for today, I, I thought about, God, today I want to wear my armor. I, I want to be ready for battle because I know that Satan does not want people to hear a, an encouraging word today. They, they, they don't want to hear, Satan doesn't want people to know that there is hope, that there is, there is a Jesus that loves them. And so I began to pray in my own life to put on the, the, the armor that I needed to do battle today. And, and in my mind, I did exactly what Jesus said. It's, it's, it's me taking my cross daily. But I want you to know that it's not just me. It's for you. Part of what take up your cross means in my own personal understanding is that you do your part. Unfortunately, what we usually do is we stand back and let everybody else do the work. And as we talked about last week, we don't, we don't need anybody in this church standing on the sidelines. What we need is players on the field. We don't need anybody doing the armchair coaching from the side. I don't know if you, how many of you are on Twitter or on Facebook, but if you watch Saturday football results on, on, as people comment about it, there's a lot of coaching going on, but none of them are on the field. 
A lot of them are giving opinions of what should happen in a ball game, baseball, what, whatever it is. All these kinds of people who are giving coaching information, yet, yet none of them have played on the field. We don't need people standing on the sidelines saying, here's what I think should happen. We need people on the field fighting the enemy for the sake of the kingdom of God. Take up your cross means that I'm willing to follow Jesus. I'm willing to put on my armor. I'm willing to pray prayers of faith for my family and my friends and even my enemies, for my church, for the, for the leaders in my church, for my city, that my city might find Christ. Can, can you think of anything more exciting than us having to have a baptistry up here every week because people, person after person after person is coming to Christ because their life has been transformed by the gospel? Can you imagine what would happen if the gospel really permeated spirit? Spearfish and God began to do a work in this city, what would be different? If you begin to pray that way, if you begin to live that way, if you did as we talked a couple of weeks ago, when you pray that you grab a hold of God and say, God, I'm not letting go until you bless me. I'm not letting go until you do something amazing and incredible in my life. What if you took that new attitude that we talked about a couple weeks ago out of Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 that said, I am crucified with Christ, yet it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live in the flesh. In, 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 excuse me. I live in the flesh by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I don't think that was exact, but it's close, okay? What if we took that new attitude and we begin to say, God, it's no longer me, but it's you in me. My life has been changed and it has been transformed. And I don't want to live that way anymore. I want to live for Jesus. And you took that step of faith and you took that different mindset and you begin to live a different life. And instead of saying, who's going to do it? You say as what Isaiah said, here am I, send me. Amen. If we begin to live that way, how would our life be different? Jesus said, you have to deny yourself. You can't be scared of dying because if you die and you know Jesus, where do you go? Everybody's asleep. If you die and you know Jesus, where do you go? To heaven, right? Okay. Paul said, hey, if I die here, it's game because I get to go to heaven. Okay, he, he said it, it's positive on both ends. If I live, it's for Christ. If I die, it's for gain. I don't lose. Listen, you can't be scared to deny yourself and give your life to Jesus and say, if I give it all up and God takes me home, that's okay. But listen, take up your cross means you're doing your part. When is the last time that you prayed for somebody who you were angry at? When is the last time that you prayed that God would truly touch your family? When was the last time that you prayed for those people in this city who don't know Christ? We have to change the perspective of our life. The last thing Jesus said is that if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and what? Follow me. I think that means four things. Follow me means four things. Number one, that you have to be listening to Jesus. Have you ever had someone that you wanted to give instruction to that wasn't listening to you? As a parent, what do you do? Right here. I'm in charge. Remember? Who pays the rent? Feeds you. Clothes you. Remember? It's me. Listen. You think God ever has to do that with us? Man, we're, we're, like, a, we're like a three-year-old. I mean, we're just off in nowhere land. I mean, we're, we're running around. We're playing. We're just having a good time. And Jesus is like, hey, over here. I'm over here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Jesus said, listen, I want to tell you something, but you're not listening. If you're going to follow Jesus, not only do you have to be willing to give it all up, not only do you have to take up your cross, but you've got to be listening. Some of us are so busy. 
I mean, our, our phones are connected to our hands, right? I, I'm not too sure we're not all going to lose our left hand, if you're, I guess if you're right hand. But, I mean, we're going to get cancer or something in our hand because we keep our phones, okay? I mean, listen, what, what if we were to put the busyness away out of our life and just listen to Jesus? Something scriptural about that. Be still and know that I'm God. Something, I remember that, right? so busy that we're not even listening. If you want to follow Jesus, you've got to be listening. The second thing is you've got to be willing. What if Jesus asked you to do something crazy? Because I think if you follow him long enough, he will. In your mind, it's going to seem insane. But does God ever do anything that doesn't work? Mm-mm. You've got to be listening. You've got to be willing. And then when God asks you to take that huge step of faith, when, when he asks you to, just like Jeffrey said, hey, it was crazy for me for my dad to pray. I'm not sure what's going to happen. God, we're trusting you. What? I mean, you're dad. You're supposed to know what's going on. Why don't you have a plan? That was crazy for Jeffrey to have to process. But listen, you have to be willing when God asks you to take those steps of faith to say, I'm going to be obedient. You have to be listening. You have to be willing. And then you have to be obedient. I can't tell you, listen to me, I I can't tell you how many people have sat in my office and said, Pastor, do you know that 20 years ago God asked me to do something that I'm not being obedient to? He asked me to go, he asked me to serve, he asked me to give, he asked me to do whatever, and and it's been haunting my life. And my guess in a room this size, there's, there's people who have that same testimony. That 20 years ago, 10 years ago, 5 years ago, God asked me to do it and I just wasn't willing to be obedient. The last thing that you need to do is when you follow Jesus, you got to be listening, you got to be willing, you got to be obedient. But here's the great thing, that when you do those three things, that you will be blessed. Because when you follow God, there is no greater place to be than in the perfect will of God. Listen, I've been to some great places. I've had, the, I've had the blessing to travel, to see some beautiful places, to experience some great things. I'm a blessed man. God, God's given me a great family that loves me. But I want you to know the best place for me to be is in the perfect will of God. Jesus said, listen, if, if you want to follow me, then you've got to be willing to give it all up. You've got to be willing to take up your cross, but then you've got to be willing to follow. Because wherever I lead is going to be the place where perfection lies, where peace abounds, where your life finally makes sense. For some of you, that, that may be a career. For some of you, that may be a, a physical place. I don't know what it is, but I know that when God says, follow me, that you need to get on that path and, and go 110%. Here's the problem, though. Some of us are just stuck in the wrong race. We, we believe this garbage about the American dream and we're running, 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 running and, and we, we've got all these things and all these possessions and all these achievements and we've got this job that's killing us and, 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 and our family never sees us and we're not being good dads and good moms and good grandparents or uncles and aunts or we're, we're not being good friends. We're not being the kind of, kind of people that God wants us to be because we're pressing towards the wrong goal. And here's what I'm afraid of is that you're going to wake up at the end of your life and go, holy smoke, I'm at the wrong place. I missed it. I was on the wrong track. I ended up at the wrong destination. And Jesus is not happy with me. Today, I want you to get on the right track. 
Jesus said, listen, if you want to follow me, it's not really easy, but it's best. Jesus is the reason why you're here. You know, some of the most beautiful places in the Black Hills are not easy to get to. Do you know that? You got to climb a mountain. You got to get in a four-wheel drive and bounce down a, a dusty old nasty road. You got to get out and sweat a little bit. But when you get to the top, is it not worth it? When you get to see that view, is it not worth every effort? What if you get to the top and realize that you're looking off the wrong hill? Jesus doesn't want that for your life. Faith will change your life if you're willing to embrace the Savior who made it possible. Jesus wants you to know today, you don't have to run the wrong race. You can run the right race. You can follow him. For some of you who don't know Jesus, here's what I want you to know. Uh, you don't have to be on that wrong path. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says that the wages of sin is death. In fact, the path that you're on is actually leading towards destruction, whether you know it or not. If you don't have Christ in your heart, you're really headed 110 miles an hour down the wrong road. And there's going to be a day when you crash. My prayer for you today is that you have that change moment where you realize that Jesus is more than just a figure in history. Jesus is more than just a religious figure. Jesus is more than just a story in the Bible, but he is real to you. The scripture says, Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death. But the gift, the second half of that verse is amazing. It says, but the gift of God is eternal life. He doesn't want you to go down the wrong road your whole life. In fact, Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says that God demonstrates his love for us in that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. He made a way for you. He wants you to know that. Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So it's not limited to those who deserve it. Because do you know who deserves salvation in Christ? Nobody. I'm talking nobody. Not me, not you, not the Pope. I mean nobody. Nobody deserves salvation. But everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. We all get the same chance. So all that junk you've lived in your past, God says, I'll forgive you. All the mistakes you've made, God says, I forgive you. All that time spent on the wrong road, putting your effort in the wrong places, God says, I forgive you. He says, I will save you and I will change your life. For some of you, you need to pray that prayer today. But for others of you, you, you're, you got Jesus in your heart. You said, hey, pastor, if, if I die today, I'm going to heaven. Awesome. You need to be quiet and listen to God. Many of you are running so fast, you couldn't hear it if God told you to do something. If he asked you to make a step of faith, you're, not even, you're like, what? I mean, you, you, you just barely even hear it in the background because there's so much noise. We've got to turn the stuff off. We've got to be still and listen to the God of all creation. Because here's what I believe. God doesn't want us to be mediocre Christians God wants to create in this environment, in this place, at this time, a group of people who believe that God can step out of heaven and do miracles, that God can do a work in your life, that that person that you know who doesn't know Christ, that you've been praying for, that God can do a work in their life, that God can change your heart, that he can change your mindset, that he can give you that, that, that difference of, of opinion, that difference of, of mind to be able to say, God, I'm going to walk in faith even when I cannot see. 
God wants to do a work today. I don't know what you needed to hear today, but I know that this word was heavy on my heart early this morning and that somebody in this room needed to hear that if you're going to follow Christ, it's time. It's time to deny yourself to take up your cross and follow him. If that's you today, don't run anymore. Let's give it all to Jesus. Bow your head and close your eyes. With every head and every, every head bowed and every eye closed, here's what I want you to do. It doesn't matter what anybody else does in this room. It doesn't matter what's going on. Here's what I want you to do. You and God, right now, I want you to give it all to him. Whatever's on your heart, whatever's on your mind, whatever you've been struggling with, that decision, if, you, if, if this morning it's been made clear to you that you are on the wrong road and you want to get on the right road, then right now I want you to just pray and ask God to take you to the right place. For some of you, you need to give your heart to Jesus. In just a moment, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And I'm going to give you the opportunity to get on the right road. The world says there are many roads that lead to heaven. Here's what I want you to know. The Bible says there's one. Through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. Stop running down the wrong road. Run to Jesus today. Heavenly Father, I pray with all of my heart that you would forgive me for running down the wrong road. God, for having my attention in a different place. God, for going through the motions of religion but missing out on the point of giving my heart to you fully. Lord Jesus, I pray for this room full of people today, many of whom I believe are so busy and so distracted that, God, if you ask us to do a great thing, that you wanted to do a great thing in our life, God, that we would never even hear you because we're not listening. Father, would you give us ears to hear, hearts to be changed. Lord Jesus, more than anything today, I pray that you would make us more like you and they would be usable in your sight. God, I pray today an exciting prayer for those who need to follow Jesus. Lord, if there's someone in this room who doesn't know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior, that they have been doing the wrong thing and living life their way, and today they want to say, I'm tired of doing it my way. I want to do it God's way. God, would you give them the courage right now where they are just in their own hearts silently to pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for never giving up on me. Today, I ask you to forgive every sin of my life, everything I've ever done. I pray that you would cleanse my heart, Jesus. Lord, I give you all that I am and ask that you would become my Lord and my Savior today. That you would give me the courage to stand strong. That you would give me the courage to make the changes in my life necessary for you to be Lord. Lord, when they pray that prayer, Lord, you, you tell us that when it's a belief that is real, that the Bible tells us that there's a celebration in heaven. So, Lord, I, I believe in this room that if someone prayed that prayer, God, you, you guys are celebrating in heaven because of the glory that has happened. God, we, we thank you for that. I pray today that, Lord, this will just be more than a service, that this will be more than just a time where we focused our heart on you, but, God, that this will be a 
changing of perspective, a turning of the tide, where, Lord, you, Jesus becomes more than just a figure in history. Jesus, you become our Lord and our Master and our Savior and our leader, and we follow you onto the field of battle. Lord, I thank you today for all that you've done. In Jesus' name I pray.